around the NFL for a full hour, exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. It is time for the Matt Hasselbeck Show, and hello, Matt Hasselbeck. How are we doing today? Doing great. How are you? I'm good. It's been kind of an interesting few days here. We got Russell Wilson throwing the ball again. Yeah, big win, big win. I mean, it helps that it was Jacksonville, but that was a very good win. Yes, very good win. Talk through that a little bit, and then just in the last half hour or so, sounds like Aaron Rodgers is going to miss the game this weekend against the Chiefs. He tested positive for COVID, and I don't know. I don't know if you would call it lying. He 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 seems to have kind of misled people in terms of his vaccination status. A a little wordplay. A little little wordplay. But the good thing for Seahawks fans, I guess it's good, um, is that now, you know, because it matters because of the protocol that he is in to return. Basically, that's why it it really matters specifically for the Seahawks. So I think if if Twitter is correct, which is hit or miss, right? Yes. But uh, he would be returning Saturday, November 13th. Obviously, the Seahawks go to Green Bay to play the Packers on Sunday, November 14th. So you're getting... You know, you're getting an Aaron Rodgers that hasn't been with the team for a good amount of time, which uh, is helpful to the Seahawks to try to go get a win. Yeah, and that's assuming he's asymptomatic. We don't know whether or not he's got symptoms or not, and that could obviously push that that timeline back. What What do you just quickly from a from a Packers perspective? You know, they get an opportunity now to start Jordan Love, who they spent a first round pick on. I wonder if this is kind of a little blessing in disguise for them. Yeah, you could absolutely say that. And so when that, when this news broke, I immediately, you know, I got a call from my producer for Sunday NFL countdown and he's like, Hey, I'm going to need you to do a big breakdown on Jordan Love. And I'm like, great. Let me just dig in on it now. I wasn't prepared for this. Let me go watch all of his passes in his NFL career. It took me about. 90 seconds <laughs> i mean it was like wait a sec that's it i kept hitting refresh i did my search a different way i'm like wait no that's it you know so uh yeah listen I, the silver lining i think you're absolutely right you get an opportunity here to now see what you have in jordan love knowing that aaron Rodgers' future with your team next year you either gotta uh mate you know keep him and, and sort of give up a lot of authority and power or move on. And so the silver lining here is that you get a look at Jordan Love and there's probably likely no major injury to Aaron Rodgers right. is you know, it's not like you, it's not like he's having pins put in his middle finger right. to, to find out. So that's uh I guess that's a silver lining. Well, and if you do end up staying married to Rodgers in the off season and if Love pay, plays well on Sunday, then maybe you have some trade value for him. Yeah, no doubt. The, you know, the tricky thing in Green Bay, though, is it, it almost feels like it's Aaron, like it's Aaron Rodgers is going to stay and the GM is going to go, mm-hmm. or the GM is going to stay and Aaron Rodgers is going to go. Like, it doesn't seem like, to me, from the outside, it doesn't seem like there's a situation where Aaron Rodgers is back with the same GM. And so, you know, we'll see. It's kind of GM Jordan Love stay or right. Aaron Rodgers stays. So it's take your pick. So what did you make of the win? Seahawks beat the Jaguars. Uh, yes, obviously that is a bad team, and they looked even worse on some. I mean, that, that didn't look like an NFL football team. I can't remember ever seeing back-to-back 12 men on the field on defense. That is, that is that, I mean, is that a coaching issue? Is that a communicate? Where does that come from? Yeah, it's a coaching issue. It's a, it's absolutely a coaching issue. That's a communication issue. There's there's a protocol on the sidelines for getting personnel in and out of the game on offense or defense. Some teams are better at it than others. You know, we 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 had great tempo when I was there in Seattle and we would know the teams that struggled with it and so we would purposely hold our personnel on offense to, you know, maybe like the last second or maybe just do it very quickly. Or maybe we'd even go into a week where they 
they know our signals. For, say, say our three wide signals is we're going to hold up the number three. And we do that all the time. Well, they know that. Well, there might be a time in the game where we purposely are going to send out three tight ends. And we're going to give the three wide signal. And if you can catch them sort of sleepwalking or sleep at the wheel kind of deal, like you can go out there and now they're, they're kind of screwed. They got the wrong defensive personnel. They've got a call that doesn't match up and either it's a penalty eventually, or they waste a timeout or you have an advantage. There's, there's a game within the game there that you play with teams that, that struggle with that. And, uh, help me a little bit on those signals, Matt, cause I, it's from something I've never really learned about. I like, I'm always fascinated by how they're able to get the correct personnel out onto the field at any time. Just with all of the number of people that are moving, coming and going on the sideline, are, are you saying a signal that a coach would hold up on the sideline to the players that are there on the sideline? Yeah, it's a signal that you signal to the people out on the field, and also the play caller is saying it into the quarterback's helmet. So, okay. you know, as soon as, like, so going back to my era, as soon as Sean Alexander is tackled, Mike Holmgren in my ear is saying, four wides, four wides. And I am immediately looking for Max Strong and Jeremy Stevens and saying, four wides, guys, four wides. Get, like, get your butt off the field. Yeah. And those next two guys are sprinting into the game at that moment. So we are already in the huddle calling our play quickly while the defense is trying to kind of play catch-up. And I think that's the hardest thing. You know, a lot of these, uh, we've seen coaches this year get pulled out of uh, coaching in a game because of COVID. You know, head coaches, Matt Nagy and, you know, different, Cliff different Kingsbury, things. Yeah. Cliff Kingsbury, yeah. And losing your offensive play caller, like, like that's not that big of a deal. You've got other guys that can just call a play. You kind of go at your own pace there. Just, you know, make it inside the play clock. Losing your defensive play caller is a, is a major deal because you gotta not, you gotta kind of react quickly in terms of down and distance, personnel grouping, what your defense is. It's, it's much more difficult, I believe, to do that on defense, ironically, because playing defense is, is, I think, simpler. You just, you know, see ball, chase ball. It's either man <laughs> or zone. It's, it's, I mean, you know, it, it, it just, I'm probably biased, but maybe a little. But uh, but no, that there there is certainly a game within the game there, and the NFL has actually made rules to uh, make it a little bit easier for the defense. Like they'll hold they'll hold the you know quarterback at the line of scrimmage if uh, to give the defense more time at times. Well, interesting because it, it sure seemed like the Jaguars had no idea what was going on. I mean, tw- twice in a row you have that problem, and it, it just seemed like. And I don't you know, need to just turn this into an Urban Meyer bash session, although I'm always happy to participate in one. It just seemed like he had no control over what was going on on that team. Yeah, it's an interesting. I mean, sometimes these teams that are purposely trying to take a long-term approach to building an organization, you kind of it's dangerous because you have to. I, I believe the goal is needs to be to win a game, to go one and zero each week, and as you're winning games, build a program. And uh, I, I don't know that that's kind of there. Um, their mindset. Now, now, not to take anything away from the Seahawks, though, because I thought Geno Smith played uh, mostly an outstanding game. Like, I thought he was mostly like really impressive like it was it, that was great to see because a lot of a lot of backup quarterbacks never get tested they hang around they hang around and finally you need them to come through for you and they don't really come through and and, and Gino was kind of like in danger of being one of those guys he just was like on the wrong side of the fine line between winning and losing and people are talking Pete Carroll's talking about well oh, we're talking to Cam Newton and we're looking around and so I thought that game was really really important not only for the Seahawks but for Gino because I thought there was just uh there was just some excellent excellent stuff that he did in that game 
How much of that was due to the time he had? And it sure yeah. seemed like when he had time, he was effective, and when he was under pressure, he was a little bit less effective. But yeah, you know, yeah. how, much, how much did they step up their game in that department? Yeah, I would agree with that. But uh, but I would say that you know Trevor Lawrence, I thought he had a good amount of time most of the day as well. You know, like Gino was there was precision to there was a rhythm and a timing and a precision to what Gino was doing. I'll even take the touchdown pass to DK Metcalf. Most mm-hmm. people that I hear in the media, they'll say, "Oh yeah, he just threw it up for DK Metcalf." That is so false. There was there is precision in how you throw that kind of a throw. A little outside shoulder, shoulder pad or higher. Turn the turn the receiver away from the defender. Obviously, DK does the hardest part of the job, but that was a perfect throw on time. It's really an uncoverable, uh, accurate throw by Gino in that case. Like I, I I was really impressed with how he played and. And, you know, I think just the team needed it. We kind of talked about it. Like, hey, you got to you gotta basically hold the fort down until Russell gets back. And I think when they go one and two in that stretch, it would have been nice yep. to go two and one. But, but this was an important game, I just think, for the overall confidence. And maybe even for Russell, just to see, um, you know, as he comes back and maybe isn't all the way back 100%, to see, like, hey, we can we can score a ton of points playing football this way until you're feeling like yourself. It's interesting you bring up the DK touchdown because he, he kind of commented afterwards. I don't know if you heard him say, hey, yeah, can I get more of those, please? Essentially saying, what do you say? He'd never had one of those thrown to him. Here, Morris got the cut for you. I'll play. This was DK after the game when, when asked about that touchdown. And I've been there for a while, and that was the first time, you know, probably got a, a pass like that. And, you know, it just felt great just to come down with it. Uh, you know, it starts with trust, um, and that was displayed out there. So that was, a, what do you mean, the first time you got a, what do you mean? Uh, you like, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big receiver, so, you know, it was just like, throw it up and let me go get it. What do you make of that? I mean, if you're mm. DK, are you just asking for <laughs> just a few more jump balls? Uh, yeah, see, it's not a jump ball. Like, I guess that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, right. I, that to me is not a jump ball. Like, when you hear people say, oh, it's a 50-50 ball, like, that's probably like a, a D, it's probably like an O-lineman saying that, or a DB. Like, it's 50-50 to you, but to a quarterback <laughs> and receiver, it's like 90-10. And to a receiver, like DK, he's probably like, yo, it's 99-1. <laughs> like, that is my ball. But no, there, there's, there's something to throwing that kind of a fade, just taking it. When you get one-on-one outside and taking it on time you know there's uh he's crying for it like he wants more of it and but here's the thing i would say to all receivers if you if you run a route like that and make that play happen just like that you're going to get more opportunities quarterbacks are coming to you more often coaches are are green green lighting that even more and and obviously he's super capable capable he is a physical freak though isn't he yeah i mean like how nice would it be to throw that pass to him yeah, well, how about him and AJ Brown on the same team in college, right? right. Like that's that's uh, amazing. He, but but I think that's part of the reason why I think people are are surprisingly optimistic about Seattle. I don't know what the vibe is there, but like around the country, people are optimistic with this seventh wild card situation. The Seahawks absolutely have a chance to get into the to the playoffs. Like the, they're they're obviously not no longer competing with the Green Bay's and the Cardinals and. Dallas and those type teams, but the teams that they are competing against are like Atlanta, Chicago, Minnesota, Carolina, San Fran. Like this is, this team could get in, and and if they hit their stride, could uh, could really surprise people. I, I think they're certainly playing it that way, and it's why I kind of liked what they did at the deadline yesterday, which was nothing. 
I don't think they were in position to do what the Rams did, right? I mean, if you're if you're John Schneider, you're not going out and, and spending a second and third round pick to bring in a Von Miller, are you? I mean, that's pretty awesome what they did. That was pretty like we're going for the Super Bowl. They put all their chips in. I mean, I, schematically, you can take half of your passing uh, plays just and just throw them away right now. You know, with what they're doing on um, on defense, and now they can put all those games they want to play on one side with Aaron Aaron uh, Donald, and now Vaughn Miller on the other side. Like, that's a problem for offenses. That's a problem for Kyler Murray. It's going to be a problem for Seattle, San Fran. They may not they may not try more than fifteen passes when they play the Rams. That, that's that's going to be an issue. Um, now, if, if it doesn't, if they don't go win the Super Bowl now, they're going to have egg on their face because they've given away so much draft capital. Yeah, it's interesting. Tell me more about the the idea of having to throw out the playbook because, of, I mean, they already have Aaron Donald. They've got Leonard Floyd. I mean, they've already got a pretty good pass rush. How much incrementally better can you be by adding Von Miller? I mean, I'm just talking scheme alone. Like what they do is they put Floyd and Aaron Donald on one side, and they run all these games, and you cannot block them. You just really can't block them unless you dedicate extra bodies. What does that mean when you say they're running games? I understand they can kind of go in each direction, but when when they are consistently doing it over the course of a game, what does that look like? Yeah, so like I guess the closest thing I could uh, equate it to is you remember like the old Utah Jazz when they would like play like a pick and roll game with Carl Malone and – Hornacek or Carl Malone and John Stockton. Like it was just like, Hey, you, everybody else just go hang out over there. We're playing pick and roll over here. And there's really nothing you can do to stop this. Like our two guys are better than whatever two guys you have. That's essentially what the, the Los Angeles Rams have done in pass rush. They basically just scheme it up where it's like, I'm running a pick play. Like the, the defensive end is going to just ear hole your guard and then the tackles coming around or vice versa. Like there's all these games that are, they're called line games, line stunts that are just a nightmare to pick up. And even if you know it's coming, now you got to deal with the fact that you got, you know, two of the best pass rushers in the game who are doing it. So what you do offensively is you dedicate all these people to just try to block those. And you, you basically ask your other guy on the other side, your other offensive lineman to just be one-on-one. Well, now you that guy's going to be one-on-one with Vaughn Miller. So now what? <laughs> so now what? He's got four and a half sacks and limited playing time this year. And he's one of the best, you know, 110 sacks in his career. So, yeah, I mean, I get it if you're the Rams. I don't know if I could have justified that if you're the Seahawks right now because it's not like, you know, you have all of the the ability to play the games on one side and force one-on-one for Miller on the other side. I don't know that they're in a position at, what, three and five to take that kind of a risk with their future. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, it wouldn't have been right for the Seahawks necessarily, but um, but again, this is a team that just gave up a ton to get Matthew Stafford. Mm-hmm. You know, kicked Jared Goff to the corner. You know, they kicked him to the curb, and he just you know he was the first pick overall uh, in the draft when he came out. He took him to the Super Bowl. Like, there's you know they they moved on. They they just again they've put all their chips on the table. This is a this is an organizational philosophy. And they're trying to also make a splash in Los Angeles still. Yep. You know, so I mean, I, I I get that, and that's a competitive town to be relevant. But uh, but but as it as it's relevant to the Seahawks, I mean, they they got to go down to L.A. this year, and now every every game is critical to get a win, and that'll be a tough one. You you're going to have to play the game differently, and quite honestly, I think Pete Carroll knows how exactly how to play that kind of a game. But uh, but that's that's still going to be a tough one. 
Well, and, and it's interesting you say that kind of a game because Pete, Pete, we talked to him this week and there was a lot of that conversation about how game plans evolve from week to week. And Pete made some reference to what they did the previous game in the rain, right, with Geno Smith and some of the reasons they were more conservative in that one versus a little bit more aggressive against Jacksonville and better weather. I mean, isn't this why you, you prepare yourself for a running game? Because when you go against a team like the Rams and you do have to throw out half the playbook, you got to be prepared for it. Yeah, no doubt about that. And the other thing, a great running game, it uh, it helps your defense play less plays. And like that's that's something that some of these offenses don't. Um, I don't think they really respect that that much. But like I, I've always felt like the best offenses that we had, we were always aware of how many plays are we making our defense play. And that that can be sustaining drives, that can be holding the clock, understanding who we're playing against. You know, like when I was playing, if we were playing against. Peyton Manning for you know for an example we would know like hey listen it's part of our job today is to hold on to this ball run this clock as long as possible you know I'm sure the Seahawks this past game they weren't necessarily concerned about Jacksonville's offense that way but there will be games this year whether it's Arizona or the Rams or Arizona the second time <laughs> like you're gonna you better sure. have a plan to play complimentary football Hey, uh, I just want to interrupt here. We got a uh, we got some news that I just wanted to to break out here, and this is uh, related to the uh, Henry Ruggs situation in in Las Vegas. And and gosh, some of the details just came out here, Matt. Former, I'm just reading from uh, Caitlin Newberg's Twitter feed, which is uh, some of the allegations that came out in court. Says that he uh, he was traveling at 156 miles an hour about two seconds before the crash was down to 127 miles per hour when the airbags actually deployed. Blood alcohol level was more than twice the legal limit and a loaded gun found in the car, all according to the prosecutor, Eric Bauman. Wow. Sheesh. That's that's, uh, troubling. It's as bad as you can even imagine. Yeah. And I'm not, not, you know, there's not a ton of conversation around anything like that. But gosh, when you hear some of those details, 156 miles an hour is, is a staggering staggering speed to even conceive of and the idea of losing control in some way at that moment hitting somebody and driving that fast at, at, at oh my gosh what a what a sorry i'm just sort of struck by it yeah no that's that's terrible and um you know i think that's sometimes a coaching staff's biggest fear like i feel like a lot of times the great coaches that i've ever had it wasn't about x's and o's and it wasn't always just about football it's about character development and when when there's free time when there's a day off when there's a bye week or something the amount of time that coaches try to be leaders and 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 talk to the team about listen guys everything that you've ever worked for can be taken away in an instant Mm. can be taken away from you can be taken away from others and um you know, it's uh, this is just a tragedy beyond words, but um, this is a coach's worst nightmare as well. Yeah, I kind of had this on my list of things to ask you about before even the rugs thing came came about, just because the Seahawks were on their bye, bye week this week. And and, you know, for, you know, immediately start thinking of some of the fun you can have in a bye week, quick vacation getaway. A few years ago, Russ went down to Mexico and there was a whole like, uh, you know, to do about whether or not he should have been at the facility getting better, et cetera. But, you know. From a coach's standpoint, the bye week is like a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah, I mean that. that uh, like even back when when I was playing, Mike Holmgren, he would make these like you know I don't even know what you call them, 
little workouts. The guys were going to have a workout on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, like for 45 minutes. It had nothing to do with the workout. He was a, he was concerned about what might happen if guys left town, you know, what might happen if guys went home. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, this is a, you know, again, like there was a coach this year it was urban Meyer. Urban Meyer was talking about when he got jammed up in his, you know, embarrassing fiasco. And that was, that was terrible as well. Um, he talked about, Hey, the role of the coach and he named three things that were the role of the coach. And it was something about X's and O's and, you know, pushing guys. And then I think his third one was get out of the way. And I remember kind of being disgusted by it when he said it, it was like, you're missing the point, man. Like you don't understand character development. And like what what legacy and and things you're gonna leave with these guys long after football is over? Like that is of all the coaches that I ever had in football and every other sport, that's the thing I remember more so than teaching somebody how to you know outside release first press cover. Like who cares about that? Character development is such an important part of it. And uh, you know from where I sit, Urban Meyer missed the mark on that. And 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 some coaches take pride in that and still miss the mark. But uh, this this is hopefully. You know, you, we can all just, all of us, we can learn from this. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised that Urban Meyer missed the mark when it came to character. I do think it's a place where Pete, my sense is he really succeeds because he takes that incredibly seriously. And I would argue sometimes even to a fault where where he believes that he can reach somebody that nobody else has been able to reach. And, you know, at times I can be cynical and I can be critical of coaches who will make exceptions for bad character players because you know they can help the football team short term my sense with pete is that when he makes those exceptions it's because he legitimately and truly believes that he can help that player be a better person well just i'll just take you inside the locker room my first week with pete carroll as a head coach you know he has his three rules his first rule was protect the team and what does that mean and i'll never forget this he was like listen for sure protect the team means when we're at practice you don't uh you know cut cut block a guy or you keep the guys up on 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 the field like we want to keep the guy up that's for sure what it means but it means so much more than that for example if i ever find out that one of you guys in this room gets a dui for sure like i will be so angry at you for failing for not protecting us the team but i will be even more upset with the guys on our team that were there that could have done something to prevent it. Mm-hmm. And like it just stuck it just it just struck me like this is what he's choosing to speak about in his essentially his first team meeting. And I had a, just a tremendous amount of respect for for how he started it out and uh, I think he does of all the coaches I've been with, he is definitely one of them that that takes so much pride in in again I think I guess I would call it character development. It is so much more than the Xs and Os. When did you first learn that? When did I first learn that about Pete? Well, no, I'm just in general about coaches. I mean, it, it, it seems like it takes some time for guys to kind of figure out what coaches are trying to get across to them. You know what? I would say this. I don't care if you played football in the NFL or if you, you know, just played a bunch of like Little League baseball and stuff like that. I think every single person can think of a coach either that affected their life negatively or positively. 
You know, like even for me, I, if, if you were to li- want me to list like the five coaches that had the biggest impact on me, like I, I don't know that they would all be football coaches. Like there literally might be a, a little league baseball coach mm-hmm. in there when I was 12 years old. And, and I think everybody has had that kind of an experience. That's why I think that the coaching profession is such an important thing. Like the, the ability you have to, to influence the next generation by being a coach is so powerful, either positively or negatively. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I think I just was really, really fortunate to be around people who were in the coaching profession or coaching volunteers that that um, took pride in that. I'm glad you mentioned that. I agree with you 100 percent. And some of the value you get with, the, especially youth coaches or high school, middle school type of coaches, it's not necessarily a position of glory, but there's just so much positive that can come out of it. And and you know, kind of leads back to what the big partnership we've had here at 710 ESPN Seattle with Coaching Boys into Men, which is a, a domestic violence prevention group that works with high school coaches specifically so that they can work with their young athletes and teach respect and teach consent and teach what it means to uh you know to treat people the right way. And so I, I agree with you. There's such there's such an incredible ability to affect and shape the future there. And, uh, yeah, I think it's something that Pete generally gets right. All right, Matt, hold on one minute. We can come right back. I want to ask you, we've gone all this way. I want to ask you about Russ throwing, what you saw with the pin out. Pin out, mm-hmm. win out. Russ is throwing, and uh, he's ready to go. So we'll ask you about it next. More with Matt Hasselbeck. Don't go anywhere. Mike Salk Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. The Matt Hasselbeck Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Rolling on here with the Matt Hasselbeck Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Congratulations to the Braves. They win the World Series last night. And uh, the hot stove season has now begun, so we'll be talking some more Mariners tomorrow. Uh, but, of course, the big news today, Matt, in Seattle, Russell Wilson with the pin out throwing a football before anybody thought he could, Russell uh, tweeted yesterday that he wasn't supposed to throw for a while, a few weeks, but by prayer and dedication and tremendous help from his performance team, today was his first day back, one step at a time, grateful. And, uh, yeah, we get to see some shots of him working out. I know that you look very similar when you would do your workouts back in the day. Uh, you also have a home-branded gym, right? <laughs> I do have a gym. That gym he has is really impressive looking. Listen, he looks he looks great. Um, I think I've mentioned on this show, you know, even though he's going to be out for a month or so, the important thing is going to be for him to stay in shape, stay fit, stay in game shape. And of course, what'd you expect? Anything less? No, he's, he's done it. He looks amazing. He looks actually like, you know, there's a joke when guys come back from injury, the whole team will yell fresh legs, fresh legs, because guys look better when they come back from injury than they did when they, you know, before the injury. And so I think you'll see a a more fit version of him. You certainly see that from the videos that he's in. But, you know, here's a guy that just, he doesn't cheat the game. He doesn't cut corners. He does everything. I mean, even back to the pregame against the Steelers when he's doing the two-minute drive by himself and everyone's, like, kind of chuckling because the cameras are out there and he's doing it in front of the cameras. But here's a guy that, you know, that's called basically a metabolic workout where basically you are going to, instead of running around on a track or a treadmill or something, you're going to do the actual uh, things that you would do in a football Mm -hmm. game. And, and, And so, you know, taking the finger out of it, all the other stuff is really, really impressive to me. So, uh, what would you expect? I mean, you saw him. You saw him throwing another. I guess another question here is: in the workout, he's wearing shoes. For throwing, he's taken off his shoes to go barefoot. Does that 
is that something that I should take notice of, or is that? Yeah, just... there, there's. You know, I don't know. I, I don't. You know, there's a lot of schools of thought in terms of like doing workouts in bare feet. You know, what correlation that has to the rest of your body, body like neuromuscularly and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes we wear all these like really nice, fancy, expensive shoes, and the shoes are doing the work of say maybe your calf muscles or your glutes should be doing and that kind of thing. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. The thing that is not surprising to me, but maybe surprising to some people is that he's wearing a glove. Like I would expect that he's going to wear a glove for the foreseeable future um, because of probably the incision or grip or that kind of thing. When I had injuries on my hand, a glove sometimes just uh, it's kind of like it's hard to do things with a Band-Aid on sometimes is, mm-hmm. is maybe one way to say it. So I think the glove uh, might be here to stay for a little bit. Well, it appears to be just a one-finger glove, too. It looks like, anyway, it just has a finger on the middle finger, and the other four fingers are open. Yeah, they some. I, I think I have a golf club like that where it says birdie on the middle finger. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, but I think it's, <laughs> yes. seen this might be different than that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, we were talking to Pete about that this week. He was recalling when Earl Thomas showed him a similar finger on his way out the door. <laughs> <laughs> this finger is maybe a little bit different. Of course, he could joke about that. Most coaches wouldn't be able to joke about that. That's that's classic Pete. Pete brings it no, up. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, listen, I definitely, I definitely, I remember playing Green Bay and uh, this guy, Aaron Campman, came around on a, on a pass rush and grabbed my fingers and broke two of my fingers in my left hand. And, uh, and basically, like, what did I have to do? Oh, I had to buddy tape them together like you do in basketball. But in order to do that, I had to wear a glove, but cut out the fingers on, the, you know, cut out the glove on those two fingers. So there's going to be some creativity here in the uh, kind of like athletic training world to, right. to get him feeling exactly like he wants to well, feel. He, but... Brock was talking about it today. He spends an inordinate amount of money on his own personal care, training regimen, all of mm-hmm. that stuff. Was that happening when, when you were in the league or did that really get going later? Listen, I thought it, I thought it was like, I thought I was spending a ton of money on that kind of stuff. I mean, I was, uh, you know, even when I lived out in Eastern Washington, like I was, I had people living with me that were helping me, like I was training with, like making sure I was, you know, sort of making my life miserable in a sense, mm-hmm. whether it was nutrition or, or exercise or whatever. Do so you hire but somebody was, to live with you and make you work all the time? Yeah, like a like a strength coach, you know that that window of time when mini camp ends and training camp is about to begin. That's the most important part for a quarterback getting ready for training camp. Back then, it was throwing twice a day, two a days. That was the most important time. So, like, yeah, the coaches are going off on vacation. Players are ramping up. Mm-hmm. Like that's like the time right before your marathon. But but the level of investment that that I thought I was doing is absolutely nothing compared to what Russell Wilson and some of these guys are doing today. I mean, they are. All the way in. I mean, th- his budget is probably more than our team's budget was at the time. I mean, it's uh, it's unbelievable, and 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 it's uh, you know, it's also like I, it's it's amazing. I yeah. don't even know what to say. It's amazing. You mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think that week seventeen game where you had been hurt, and then Pete didn't want you to play. Ended up starting Charlie Whitehurst team one, and then it ends up leading to uh, to the Beast Quake a couple weeks later. Do you see any possibility where Pete holds Russ back, even if Russ feels like maybe he's ready to go next week? No, I don't. I don't think he'll hold him back. But like, even in that, 
when he when Pete Carroll told me he was going to start Charlie Whitehurst in that last game, that Week 17 game, he basically this is how he said it was he's like, listen, there's some really cool plays I want to run in this game, and they're like naked bootlegs and throwbacks, and and uh, we can only run them if he's in there because you can't really run right now. And so he sold it like as that. So I could see a scenario where uh, if there's a trick play, you know, like a Philly special sure. or something like that, Geno's in there. But other than that, no. Like there, this is Russell Wilson's coming back, and he's done everything that that he can. And this, to me, this is a form of leadership. Like him, sort of humble bragging about how hard he's been training and how hard he's been working and how he's cutting no corners. This is a message to the team. Like we're not out. I'm all the way in. Mm-hmm. All my chips are in. And hopefully you're doing the same thing. Hopefully your Monday looks like my Monday. Hopefully your Tuesday looks like my Tuesday. And, you know, if you go through the week, then the message will be, then your Sunday will look like my Sunday. And I think that's the message in, like, words are cheap, talk is cheap, actions matter. And, and I, I think that's probably the takeaway. And Pete's fired up to to kind of do this kind of messaging together with Russell and 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 I th- I think it's authentic and I th- I think it works. Do you think that I, I I think I hadn't thought about it that way but I like your point. Do you think that um that professional athletes more than any other people believe in that talk is cheap actions matter? I don't you know you know, there's so many, like, you know, you sit in these players only meetings or you get these coaches that get up and try to give you a motivational speech for like the 16th week in a row for 18 years in a row. Like talk is cheap. You know, that there's, I can just think of a sign in a locker room that I was in. It said, don't talk about it, be about it. Like that. It's just, that's the whole thing. You know, like, don't tell me about what you're going to do. Just show me or just go do it. So I just think that that's the thing in NFL locker rooms. You have to be, authentic in what you do each and every day and people if not people see through it and and i do believe like you know i feel like i'm always on here just uh, praising pete carroll and his coaching style but it there's so many different things that i appreciated about when he was my coach and one of the things was tell the truth monday or just like before every day before every game or sorry before every practice in the team meeting that day he would show like some of the great stuff that happened in practice the day before. And then he would he would show some of the bad things. And then he would also give people an opportunity to call out anybody on the uh, on the team. Hey, I want to go up against this guy in one-on-ones today. And it could be a young guy calling out an old guy, it could be an old guy calling out a young guy. Like that that just like leveling of the playing field and just being honest because on most teams it's more like, well, this guy's a first rounder. You can't say anything about him or don't challenge that guy. He makes a ton of money or this guy used to make pro bowls. So leave him alone. Like Pete didn't care about any of that. And, and I really appreciated that. And, uh, because it's not like that everywhere. I wonder if he still does that. I'm going to ask him about that next week and whether or not he still does that. That sounds kind of awesome, to be honest with you. The, the, the best part would be like, okay, you know, you have one-on-ones like during the day, like receiver DB or, you know, pass rusher O-lineman, and he'd, he'd just call on a guy, hey, who do you want? Marcus Trufant, what wide receiver you want to shut down? And Mark True gets to pick out who he thinks is like, <laughs> overrated or not underrated he's not going to pick who's underrated or or it could be a guy trying to prove himself be like yo give me dk metcalf yeah let's like, see how DK. this goes you know like, i i would not i would not say that but, no you know. well that's why you're not playing defensive back we've got you yeah. right where we want you quarterback all right yeah. uh we speaking of you and, and quarterbacks uh we are going to we have a good ranked segment 
I wouldn't say it's comparing you and Tom Brady, but it's built off something that Tom Brady did, and uh, it leads us to some stories about your own life. So we will have you rank something next. More with Matt Hasselbeck. Should be fun. Don't go anywhere. Mike Salk Show and Matt Hasselbeck on 710 ESPN Seattle. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is Ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. Now we got a text here, Matt, that says Salk's wife also has someone who lives with her who makes her life miserable. So she could relate. I don't know if it's a trainer. I don't. I don't know who that person's referring to. Hmm. Do you my, have a dog? Is that what maybe? I do. I assume she meant okay. maybe one of my daughters. I guess. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's cold. You're man. That's terrible of you. Well, you should meet my daughters. No, I'm just kidding. They're great. that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. This isn't you, new. No, I've been making my younger daughter Cecily. I've been making fun of for a while. Terrible. She's gotten better. She was. She was tough toddler, man. I would like to distance myself from Mike Sock. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be the first. Trust me. I'm surprised you're still here eight weeks into the season. All right. Uh, so Tom Brady had his, what, 600th uh, touchdown pass, right? Oh, Ball is go- that all? Just, just 600? 600. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no biggie. Ball goes into the stands, and Brady wants it back. And so the negotiation ensues, and Brady gave this guy an arm and a leg and all these different you know, pieces of equipment and memorabilia, and then ended up giving him a Bitcoin that was worth, what, like 40 grand or something 65. like that? $65,000. So with that in mind, Matt. Well, you know, what? you know why he did that? Because the guy wanted to play golf with him. So Brady was like, hold right. on, four hours with you? What's that worth to me? Here, here's $40,000. That's how much I don't want to play golf with I bet you. you it was worth more than that to him. I bet if he'd really pushed the golf thing, like, six hours? Oh, my gosh. There's no chance. Like, what's Brady's time worth? So funny. Uh, so we thought we would ask you to rank uh, some of the memorabilia or things that you have saved from your career. So with that in mind, Matt Hasselbeck's best saved sports hmm. memorabilia. Like ranked. a top five. Yeah. A top five. Okay. Right, well, I'm, this is tough because I do have like great jerseys, Favre, Steve Young, Elway, like guys I played with, played against, grew up watching. And I've traded stuff with memorabilia dealers, but uh, this is—I'll take a stab at it. Okay, okay. these are kind of sentimentals for me. Okay, okay. number five—I've got a, the Roger Clemens's cleats from his third Cy Young Award. I grew up here wow. in Boston, and the pitcher that I always wanted to be like was Roger Clemens. I really, my goal was to play in Major League Baseball and to be the catcher for Roger Clemens. I wanted to be his catcher, but uh, obviously that never happened for a lot of reasons. But uh, that's that's number five. Did you have the uh, the Rocket Man book when you were a kid? I did not, but these are Reebok pump cleats. Oh, nice! Like a baseball, and you kind of pump them up. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll take a picture. When you were out here, I wonder if you ever met Bill Hasselman, who lives around Seattle. He was Clemens' catcher for a second twenty strikeout game. And really nice guy, loves football, loves sports, just an awesome dude. And he was a backup catcher mostly, but he caught Rogers' second 20 strikeout game. Well, that's good to hear. They say don't meet your heroes. So, uh, right. you know, I never met Larry Bird for that reason. I, was, yeah. I wasn't sure what I was going to see. So, <laughs> Roger, All right, number four. Michael All right, number, number four. four. So when I left the Seahawks, I went to the Tennessee Titans in Nashville, Tennessee. And just by chance, we just started collecting guitars, like autographed guitars from all these country music. I think my first one was Dirks Bentley. My most recent is Carrie Underwood, and got everybody in between. So we've got a really kind of a cool guitar collection. Wow. And um, and I've actually given gifts as guitars to different people. It's been like a good thing. Yeah. Wow. All right. So that's cool. That's number four. I wasn't expecting yeah. that. Off the board. Yeah. 
Uh, Don't give one to Brock. Whatever you do, he won't know what it is. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, I think I have bad math here because I left off what I was going to say. Shoot. Okay. Number three. Where am I? Number three? Yeah. Okay. When you go to the Pro Bowl, they give you like a trophy for the Pro Bowl. And they say, okay, this is your first year, second year, third year. Well, in my first Pro Bowl... They gave me mine, and they, they must have had, like, the lines on the Excel spreadsheet were off. So mine says seven-year participant. So they were like, oh, my gosh, our mistake, our mistake. Send it back, and we'll send you one that says first year or second year. And no I'm way. like, nah, nah, we're good, we're good. We're good here. So, so, the only, so I only went to three Pro Bowls, but if you come to my office now, like you'll see a trophy that says congratulations on your seventh yeah. year at the Pro Bowl. Good. So that's kind of good. Okay. Um. Number, All right, number I ha- two. I, number two. Okay, I have the first ever set of football cards ever made, given to me by a friend in Seattle. Actually, it's framed. It's super, really neat. It's a, it's a very cool. Like this is a serious answer. It is a very so, cool piece. Like ever, probably ever. the most. Probably, I think so. Yeah, and, and judging by the stats of the quarterbacks uh, on the backs of the cards, yes. What year? <laughs> I'd have to look that up. It's so impressive, and the way that it was gifted to me is it, probably the most valuable piece of mem- memorabilia that I have. Wow. It's, uh, it's very, very cool. So, uh, Like from the 60s? I mean, like is that is it that old? Way before that. Oh, really? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's super old. So Crazy. It's, it's, it's very cool. cool. And, like, you know, I thought about in this two-spot putting, like, I've got all this NFC championship gear, like, from our NFC championship game, like my cleats with, like, literal the, the, the confetti still in the cleats, and Steve Smith gave me his helmet and cleats from that game. I got all this stuff from that game, but it's not as cool as this uh, first. <laughs> set of football cards that i have so. wow okay yeah okay number one this is weird all right but <laughs> there used to be this thing called the quarterback challenge and they used to do the fastest man competition yes. and all this cut like how many times can somebody bench press 225 pounds well one year at the pro bowl after the quarterback challenge they're doing the fastest man well after the quarterback challenge i had traded jerseys with michael vick so michael vick gives me his jersey and signs it writes something nice I give him my jersey. Well, Michael Vick decides he's going to run in the NFL's fastest man competition wearing my jersey still. So this is me at in Hawaii at the Pro Bowl watching Michael Vick run literally the fastest man competition in my jersey. It's the fastest that jersey has ever, ever run. And so for me, I take tremendous pride in it. Every time I see that Michael Vick jersey uh, that I have now, I just think of how cool it was That's to awesome. see my jersey running 24 miles an hour. Did I don't he know win? how fast he ran. You know what? He either won or he tied his teammate, Alan Rossum, oh, yeah. uh, who was a really fast DB from uh, Notre Dame. Uh, one of the two of those guys won, but uh, I have a feeling that if Michael Vick really wanted to win that yeah. thing, he, he could have. He was unbelievable. That's awesome. It's kind of like Lamar Jackson before there was Lamar Jackson. Yeah, good stuff. Matt, thank you. Good rank today. Good uh, good conversation. We'll be back to do this again next week. Uh, coming off the Seahawks bye, so we'll uh, get, be getting ready for Green Bay. We'll see if Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to play or if he's symptomatic. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll uh, find some other fun stuff to talk about. So thank we'll you. Study we'll study up Jordan week. Love. We'll study up Jordan we Love. Go. It'll, t- it'll take 90 seconds. <laughs> Maybe by the end of the game it'll take longer. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Jerry Depoto will join us, start talking through this Mariners hot stove season, which is apparently now underway. So we'll catch you guys tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. See ya.